everyone, welcome to Mums on Cloud9. Within our podcast, we aim to inspire mums to progress their careers in the tech sector from starting out to climbing the career ladder. We provide tips and insight on how to succeed in your career and overcome adversity that many women can face within the workplace. During our current series, I'm talking about how to have an ambitious women mindset and how to instill self-confidence and power within. Today, we're talking about how to overcome anxiety and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Marianne Baker, who's a psychologist and parenting expert. So Marianne, welcome to the show. Please do introduce yourself to everybody. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Heather. Yeah, so I'm Mary Han. I'm a psychologist and, and alleged parenting expert, but I think my children would have something to say about that. Um, and I'm also the host of the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So my day to day really is working with children and supporting families where there's anxiety. Fantastic. So we've definitely got the right person on the show, <laughs> as you can see. So let's talk about anxiety. It's, it's quite common for all of us, for example, if we're starting a job, taking an exam, learning something new or dealing with a difficult situation, for example. And we certainly see that at Supermums. If people are starting on our learning journey and changing career, you know, they're kind of going through that situation. Where we're like, oh, this is all new. And um, it was interesting because we had the whole new cohort of learners start with us in September. And people were saying in the chat, like, oh, I'm really you know, anxious about this and nervous. And somebody sort of said, well, is it excitement versus anxiety? So what's the difference? How would you identify if it's anxiety or excitement or nervousness? And what is the difference? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're meant to be very closely linked, anxiety and excitement. And I think for me, the easiest way that I find to explain is if you imagine a seesaw, you know, like a child seesaw where, you know, you can sit at both ends. When you're in a situation, this is the easiest way to understand the distinction between feeling confident and excited and feeling overwhelmed and anxious is that when we're excited, our seesaw is pretty much in balance. What we perceive the demands being placed on us by that situation, they're met equally by what we perceive are the resources. So we've got this lovely balanced seesaw, give or take. So we're excited, we think we're up for this and we think we can cope with it. Mm -hmm. When we feel anxious, overwhelmed or stressed, the seesaw tips, you know, like it did when you've got, you were really tiny and you were on it with your cousin who was like five years older than you and you couldn't get the seesaw down. So the seesaw tips and what you perceive are the demands being placed on you by that situation are far heavier and far outweigh any perceived resources that you have to deal with it. So that is where we get the tip. And what's really key is it's all to do with perception. It's got nothing to do with whether you should be anxious or not, whether you're capable or not. It's how you feel about whether you're capable or not. Mm, interesting. That's really interesting. So what's normal with anxiety and what's not? And you know, when is it more of a problem, do you think? For a short and sweet and simple answer, it's when it gets in the way of you being able to live your life normally. I think all of us worry. We're all anxious to some level. Stress is a normal part of life. And we always, you know, worrying is normal. But when it stops us from being able to do something, when we feel paralyzed at being able to do something, that's when it's a problem. Mm, okay, interesting. We see that quite a bit. And um, some of our learners don't like exams. And some people can't deal with exam pressure, can they? So that's kind yeah. of can be an over a, a rift. How do people address that if they do come across these challenges where they're feeling anxious and, you know, passing exams or doing exams and things like that? What strategies can people put in place? What I would say before I go into the strategies, I think it's really important. Obviously, when we're anxious, we actively try and avoid a situation that makes us feel anxious. Mm. And if we allow ourselves to continue avoiding it, actually what we do is we re reinforce the anxiety. Mm. So it's really important that we 
reframe it in our head that actually I need to slightly push myself in that in the thing that I feel particularly anxious small steps we're not talking about throwing yourself under the bus but you do you you shouldn't avoid it so when I talked about that whole seesaw thing there's two bits of it there's the perceived demands and the perceived resources and when we talk about traditional cognitive behavioral therapy it basically addresses both sides of the seesaw. So when we're anxious and we're nervous and we're stressed and we're overwhelmed, we feel it in our bodies and it's different for different people. So that's one side of the seesaw. And then the other side of the seesaw is the conversation that we have in our head that says, I can't possibly sit an exam. What if I fail? What if I forget? Oh my God, I'm really, my mind goes blank or whatever that kind of conversation is. Mm -hmm. So the best way at rebalancing the seesaw is we have to, address both sides. So we have to work on what's physiologically showing up in my body. Can I find ways to help calm? So I take my body from fight or flight, Mm -hmm. scary, I want to run away to a little bit of calm. Mm -hmm. And that might be breathing exercises. It might be meditation. It might be about just taking ourselves out somewhere, distraction. Mm -hmm. So that's, so we've got to deal with that bit, but we then also, and I think this is where it's a life skill that I think even if we start teaching our children, because then when they when we're at, when they're adults, they're sort of used to it, is just being aware that we have a conversation in our head all of the time. Mm. And because that conversation in our head has our voice, doesn't make it true. So if we tell ourselves, I, I'm rubbish at exams, I'm not good at studying, I'm not good at taking notes, I always forget things, that's not a truth. That's just what we've told ourselves. Mm. That's our critic. And we need to recognize that and then recognize that there's an alternative narrative of I usually get a bit nervous in exams and I feel like I can't remember. But I know that if I can find some way of creating a bit of calm, that it all then suddenly comes back to me. So it's it's dealing with that both sides of the seesaw, really. Oh, it's so amazing, isn't it? It's, it's properly rewiring your brain, mm. taking ownership rather than it owning you, right? <laughs> Completely, exactly. And it's that just because I think it doesn't mean that it's true. Yeah. And so is there anything preventable? So if anxiety does show up for you in your life, is there something that you can do that sort of prevents anxiety arising in the first place? Some sort of pre, pre strategy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's about recognising how you typically respond to things. So I think I'm a really big advocate of a reflective practice. Um, I think now whether you do, I mean, I journal every day, whether you journal or whether you just write bullet points. But I think as human beings, we get so caught up in autopilot, just doing the same thing, rinse and repeat, Mm -hmm. that we just need to kind of sometimes break that habit and a reflective practice that you do. So if it's a Tuesday, you're reflecting on Monday, allows you to kind of spot patterns and being able to work out, oh, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm in a particular spot at the moment. I've noticed that. I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed or um, I'm resentful or I'm tired, whatever those sorts of things are. And then we can be much more preventative. So I think reflective practice, definitely. And then the other thing is just being aware of where your head goes. Sometimes the mindset, the default assumptions that we have, the things that we say automatically that we should sort of sometimes pull ourselves up on and say, excuse me, where's the evidence for that comment that I've just made to myself in my head? Um, so that we can kind of prevent that overwhelm happening. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's really, it's really important, isn't it? To kind of be nice to ourselves. <laughs> like, Comple- you know, as if you were talking to a friend, right? To kind of like have that sense of, you know, is what I'm saying to myself true? Um, and am I being kind? We talk about this idea that we would never 
we would never talk to anyone else the way that we talk to ourselves critically. I can't remember there was a stat about how many critical comments we make to ourselves each day. And it's it's just, un- but it's in the hundreds. It's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Let's just be really cruel to ourselves. It's not it's so surprising that we feel rubbish at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> how about for a day, everybody just talks nicely to themselves and tells them how amazing they are and that they can achieve anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it should be a pilot. Um, <laughs> and so there's some great strategies you've shared there that people can obviously take away and try straight away. Um, if you've got children that are dealing with anxiety, because then that can obviously cause us anxiety as parents, you know, if we've, our child's obviously stressing out, you know, that, I say, has replications in our lives, but we want to help the children. The strategies you've talked about, how do you make them children friendly in a way that helping them understand it better? The one strategy that I find really helpful to explain to children is a glitter jar. So literally a an old water bottle or a jam jar that you put with, you have water in it and then you put glitter in. And it's a brilliant way of explaining emotions to children. So the idea is that when you've got the jar and the glitter is at the bottom, so you talk about this idea that the water in that jar is like their mind first thing in the morning. It's clear, it's calm, it's still. They can see through it and they can make good choices. From the moment they wake up, they start thinking and those thoughts are represented by the glitter. We get little speckles. We're often thinking about, oh, I'm hungry. Is it a school day? Um, What am I going to wear? What am I going to have for breakfast? Whatever it is, we're thinking constantly. But when we're thinking normally, the glitter flits around, but we can still see through the water and it's clear, it's calm, it's still, and we can make good choices. When we experience a big emotion where we're super nervous or super angry, instead of this lovely calm bit of glitter, we get this swirling and that's when we shake the bottle or the jar. And in those moments, a child can very vividly, very accurately see that there is no way that they can see through that water because there's glitter everywhere. It's not calm, it's not still, and they're unlikely to make good choices. Mm. So that's a great way of just communicating about emotions. And then it gives you a shared narrative, a shared language around creating space. So what would happen if we just left the jar for a moment or two? What would happen? Mm. And then obviously the glitter settles to the bottom. And what is really good to then explain to your child is, Okay, what we were nervous about and worried about or angry about hasn't gone. It's just settled to the bottom. And now we've got this clear space Mm. that we're more likely to make a good choice. So just giving them that framework and that shared language then helps you to explain the internal chatter that helps you explain all of the feelings that they might have that, you know, the tummy ache that they might experience, Mm. the sweaty palms, the heart beating fast. So they can then start working on resources and exercises to help them yeah amazing and as parents we don't know this right necessarily but we might have a child at home that is anxiety you know, has anxiety how do we how do we and when do we know to get more professional help and what sort of support would you be looking for I think for me there are two things that I would say are the biggest indicator that you've got a child who is probably feeling anxious number one is a child who often complains of tummy ache And number two would be a child who finds it difficult to fall asleep at night. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that we all have an internal dialogue. Mm -hmm. During the days, children are supremely busy. They're busy doing things, as are we, although sometimes we make ourselves busy to avoid it. But when children go to bed at night, they're left with their thoughts. Mm -hmm. If you've got a child who worries, they might be ruminating. So going over what's happened in the day, what they could have said, should have done, would have done or they're worrying about something that's either going to happen the next day or in a few days time. So they find that 
some children might talk about having a busy brain. They just can't quieten it. But if they have us with them, then they usually fall asleep much more quickly. So those are the two biggest. There'll be other things, um, you know, seeking control and those sorts of things. But typically those are the two things that I would say you, that you've probably got a child who is feeling particularly anxious. And at that point, then absolutely get some you know, additional support and a goal. So it depends. I mean, it's not about worrying parents, but it's about just helping children begin to understand how that they are feeling nervous, um, but they can do something to help them that, you know, help themselves. And a lot of the times, if we catch it early as parents, we can support them if we just know the right tools and strategies to use. Exactly. And obviously at the extreme case, then you'll need much more professional advice for for, the, for your child and for you as a parent. But a lot of the time, if we're clued in and we can spot it early, we can do a lot of the intervention with some guidance. Absolutely. So how can people best engage with you, Marianne, to kind of move forward and get support from you? Um, well, they can either listen to my podcast, How Not to Screw Up Your Kids, which is on Apple and Spotify, or um, there's lots of resources on the website, which is drmaryhand.com. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's been really useful top tips in that quick 15 minute session. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been lovely talking to you. And these are everyday things that all of us have to deal with in some form or other. So thank you so much. Oh, um, thank you. Check out, everybody can check out her podcast and um, access further support if you need it. If you enjoyed the show today, please do rate and review um, on iTunes. Um, and let us know what you think. We're always happy to answer any questions that you might have. So thank Thank you everyone, we'll see you soon.